Dan, I would like to have you come on up here, and I'd like to quickly introduce you. Um, just to give you a bit of uh, some backstory here, the first time that I had, I would say, somewhat met Dan was 19 years ago. I was a student here at Summit Pacific College, and I was in the Omega Global Program. Who here is in Omega? Okay. And at the end of the school year, we went on a missions trip to uh, the country Ukraine and Romania. And in Romania, Dan and his wife, Marty, and a couple other on-site missionaries, Debbie Funk, and at the time was Nancy Kutrin, but is now Nancy Gibson, Brent Gibson's wife, were missionaries there on-site. And they uh, ran and served a local coffee shop that was there, uh, and they cared for uh, the gypsy families and, and culture that was there in Romania uh, and cared for churches uh, that were there as well. So uh, Dan is currently, most recently in Spain, back and forth through Spain, family that you have there you'll, and Romania, and you'll share a bit about that. And uh, our, our, our theme for this month, and we'll continue on with pre-service prayer, is where have we seen God working? And so we've invited Dan to come share some stories to encourage us, to inspire us, uh, into where God has been working in his life. So God bless you, Dan. I'm going to wipe this down for you, and then you go at it. Yeah, let's give it up for Dan. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. Tremendous privilege to be here with you. Rob, good to see you back there at the control. My wife works with Rob in Centerline Ministries, a whole other branch and arm of missions. Um, can I just, before we even get started, uh, the announcement about uh, uh, Jonathan and, and Vera. Uh, just last Friday, every two weeks, we get together with Jason's dad. Jason, are you here? Yeah. Jason, yeah. Every, we have coffee with Murray, your dad, and your mom. And uh, we join, depending on the time that we join, our colleagues around the world. And uh, uh, Vera shared this, and you know this. She said, uh, because of her roots right in Ukraine, she said, uh, Everybody's been given the, the mandate to have a bomb air raid shelter. And she said, would you, play, would you pray for our, our country and our nation? So that's from my heart because we get to see them and know them and we've worked with them. So just give your best to them and pray as God would lead you for them and all of the tension that's happening there, okay? Um, I'd like to pray right at the beginning and ask that God would accomplish his will and do what he wants to do tonight as we're here. Gavin, thank you for the awesome privilege to be here, to share, to walk among you. But let's pray first of all, okay? And if you don't mind me, I'm going to pray with my eyes open because you're precious in God's sight, and I want to, I want to pray for you. I want to look at you when I'm praying, okay? Father God, tonight we come before you, and I pray for every student that's here, every staff person that's here. And Father, we pray like you taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And so, Lord, we would pray, Lord, accomplish your will tonight. Get your will done. Father Habakkuk prayed it so powerfully when he said, Lord, we've heard of you. We've heard of your works. We've seen you. And we pray tonight, renew them in our days, we ask. And, Lord, I, I pray that you would write tonight by your finger, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as your word says, here a little, there a little line upon line, precept on precept. And I know that's what you're doing, Lord, and tonight can be a night of destiny for each person. And we praise you for what you're going to do, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Is, uh, is Shelly Crawfield here by any chance? Or I don't know if she's listening. Just want to thank the Lord for Kirk and uh, ministry and just knowing them back so many years ago and appreciate who they are. And was in the national office one day and they got their assignment. They were going to Africa. There's this wall in the national office in Toronto and it's about that size and it's got a picture of the globe. So we were standing there looking at where they were going and just amazing. Just the missions is like the, the going out over the wall. It's a, if you've got a great verse for it, it's Genesis 49, 22, where jo Jacob prophesied over his son jo Joseph and he said, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a vine near well whose branches run out over the wall. And that's the greatness of missions, going out over the wall to touch a nation, a place, and a situation that only God can do by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he sends you to a place. And when you're going, you know he's going with you. Nothing can stand against that. And you go in his power, and he gives you a boldness, and he gives you a strength. And that's so exciting. It gives me shivers, even as I think about how Kirk and Shelley were going that way. And just uh, tonight... Uh, it's amazing to be back here. My wife and I and uh, were here as global workers in residence back in 201 in the month 9-11 when that happened. And we actually got our daughter who was in Bucharest in Romania to come back home because the world was pretty shaky in those days. So we brought her home. So it was neat to be here. Uh, there's some amazing ties. Mark, we were talking just a little bit before, and I mean, even your dad, and just, again, it's God's lines of connection in his family. Uh, my wife, uh, here's, here's a prayer request for you. Tonight after we're done, and if I can see the clock there, I have to go just shortly after 8.30. I have three hours of driving tonight. Get back to uh, White Rock, South Surrey. Go to the airport and pick up our son who's coming in from Los Angeles tonight and then go back home. So just, you know, the safety on the roads and the corners and, you know, just coming up the road here. I could see in the, in the light the bounding deer going up over the, the, the side of the road and up into the bushes and you just, I'm going to slow down. So all of that's so much fun about being here. But my wife, uh, just appreciate your prayers for the journeys yet ahead tonight. Marty, my wife, when she was 14, down the hill, at a missions conference, sitting there, and she was, you know, like you, and the call was to come up, and all the global workers, the missionaries, they had on their, their folkloric costumes, culture that they were representing, country, etc. And God put his finger on Marty so strongly, and, and he said to her, and she knew it, you don't need to go up, because he was saying, I want your whole life. She was 14, and her call came right down the hill here. And so this place is very, very special for her. And I want to share something with you tonight. Lots of stuff. We'll see how our time goes. But when I look at you, and I think of you just for a moment, there's some amazing, powerful things that I know our Lord wants to do. Because each of you live and move and have a circle of influence. And I know you're a lot of the time here on the hill, but there's places where you shop, where you play, other places where you work, where you live, and you know, and just for a moment, think about your circle of influence, where you've come from, 
where you'll be going. And that is such an awesome thought to think of who you are and where you've come from. Because God is there and he's writing with his finger and he's writing history in your life. And you know the word, if you divide it in half, he's writing his story in your circle of influence. And you know what the greatness of that is? That's your adventure. That's your adventure. That's your life's adventure. And so tonight, God is going to write some more lines on your lives. He's writing his story. And he's writing that where you go in your circle of influence. Most of us are fairly comfortable in that circle of influence. But I want us to do something tonight. Gavin and I were talking about this earlier. I want us to go into another circle of influence for a moment. And it's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 19 when he left his own circle and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going into your circle today. I'm going to your house today where you feel comfortable and we're going to talk. And God did that. And the circle I want us to go into, Gavin, you and I shared this. I like to recognize the teachers and the staff and the leaders that are here tonight. And I want you to stand and we want to honor you and we want to pray with you tonight, okay? So teachers, staff, leaders, pastors, would you stand? Now, Rob's already standing back there, but we're going to pray for him. Mark? Yeah, Gavin, Kim? That's good. Yeah, right That's good. That's good. We're going to pray for them, too. Young people, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be the best students you can every time you gather with your leaders here and those that are not here. Because it's a, it's a Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 principle. They watch for your lives. And they'll have to give an account to God for you. And they want to do it with joy. And there's an amazing principle that's at work. And it's Psalm 145 and verse 4. And it's, this is so powerful. One generation is declaring to you the greatness of God. And that's what they do. And I want you to do something else. When you're with your teachers and your leaders and your profs and the staff, whoever they are, I want you to recognize the giftings and the graces upon their lives. And if you can say, God, help me to learn everything I can from them. Because what God is going to do, and, and God gave this to me when I was in Bible school in Edmonton back in the days when it was Northwest Bible School before it became Vanguard. He said to me, be like Joseph, fill up your granaries, and the time will come where you'll get to give them out. And so while you're here, underneath the leadership of the men and women that are here, esteem them, get close to them when they pray. Listen how they pray. <laughs> it's so exciting. Let them know that you're with them and supporting them, okay? Would you do that? Could we bless them and just turn our hands towards them and pray with them right now? Father, we thank you tonight. Here's a wonderful circle of influence of leaders, staff, pastors, gifted men and women whom you've called. And tonight as a student body, we just pray for the leaders that are here. 
this amazing circle of influence. Those who are listening online, we thank you for the giftings and callings of God upon them and this chapter in our lives tonight and through these days. And I pray, Father, that you'd inspire them, minister to them, give them strength through the days and the, the weeks, through the seasons of the year that we're here. So tonight we just extend our hands to these that you've brought among us. And we sit under their ministry, bless them, inspire them, and help us to be the best students we can all the time that we can. Give us powers to concentrate, inspire them, and we'll bless you for what you'll do through them in our lives. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you, inspire you as you lead, as you influence. We encourage you. Do the ministry of, of Aaron and her. Lift up the hands of the Moses that are around you, okay? Bless them, encourage them, let them know that you're with them, learning, okay? Amen. I want to uh, thank the Lord publicly that he gave me a Christian heritage. I was born into a, a Pentecostal home. My parents lived out their faith, and I grew up in Osuyas and went to the Pentecostal church, and I thank the Lord for it. My mom was my Sunday school teacher in those early years, grades when I was three, four, and five. And uh, I remember going to school in the public school at age seven. Mrs. Letts was my teacher. And in those days, she read from the Psalms before we started school in the morning. It was so beautiful. We had Bible reading in our house. We read our Bibles, or our parents. We prayed together. We read the scriptures. And we had Bible quizzes at young people's and, and, and all of that, kids' clubs and everything. It was amazing. So Mrs. Letts is reading from the Psalms, and she says, can anybody here tell me which is the longest psalm in the Bible and how many verses it had? So I put up my hand, and I said, yes, it's Psalm 119. I said, it has 176 verses in it. And I saw God working in my life. The next year when I was eight, we had, at the end of the year, class photographs, and everybody lined up, and it was just before summer vacation took place, and everybody was there in our class in about three lines, and I was at the end. This is what I looked like. I was so shy, so timid, so introverted. And my teacher came along and she said, Dan, you got to learn how to smile. <laughs> and the Lord knew that too. He was working on me. And the next year when I was nine, I went to an Assemblies of God camp over in, in Washington, just outside of Oroville, between Oroville and Tenasket. And uh, I gave my life to the Lord. And that was the one where God really did it. And I could tell you the joy, the video clip runs all the time the joy, the strength, and it was so powerful. I felt I had the strength to run through the brick wall at the end of the, the, the church building. The next year I went back, and I was desperate for God and really hungry. And just, Gavin, like you said, uh, I asked the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I was so desperate for him, I wanted it. I went to the altar, and I started crying, and the Holy Spirit came down, and I started speaking in tongues, and it was just so powerful. And God was beginning to write on my life. So the one thing I missed in my teen years was pastors and leaders telling me to 
stir up that gift that God had given. And I spoke in tongues a little bit, but I wish they'd have done it more. And I'm thinking of uh, Paul in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 19, when he goes to Ephesus. He didn't ask them about COVID, and he didn't ask them about the, the Roman navy in the port of Ephesus. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? <laughs> Number one question. Is, I don't know. We don't know who the Holy Spirit. So he teaches them. He talks to them. He tells them what it is. And they not only speak in tongues, but they began to prophesy as well. So get that gift because I, I don't want this to sound crude, but it's so powerful. It is one of the most powerful tools that God will put on your tool belt. And uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23 say that the whole creation groans and travails, and we ourselves groan within us. We don't know how to pray sometimes, but the Spirit helps us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Over in Isaiah, it says that it's the rest and the refreshing that we have. And the Lord asks me sometimes to look, and there are needs, and I don't know how to pray, but my spirit is way out in front praying for them. And the intensity of it sometimes is so great that uh, uh, the places where it happens, not foolishly, but just sometimes when I'm teaching tennis lessons, I'm warming up and stretching, and I just start speaking in tongues. And I'm, I'm actually listening to myself in the day. And it's sometimes two, three, and four times a day. And when the days are heavy, it's seven, eight times a day where you just speak up because God wants us to be edified. So get that gift, use it, and just pray. Pray with your heart to the Lord with that amazing gift. Um, when I was in grade four, I was about 10, after I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, I loved social studies and history in school. And one day God came and talked to me in school, and I've reflected on it for the years. Um, if, if I was 10, I'm 70 now, so that was 60 years ago. This is what he said. Some people will have an influence, a circle of influence, in their city or their town. For others, it will be in their, their, their county or maybe their province or the country that they live in. And he said to me, your influence is going to be to many countries. Okay? Like Mary, you tuck it away in your heart. Jump to grade six. I was about 12. And the teacher asked those famous questions in class at school one day. Write down on the paper, one, two, and three. What do you want to be when you grow up? So I was really into sports, still am. Number three was a baseball player. And like all good Canadian boys, number two was the hockey player. <laughs> and I was playing hockey, and I wanted to be, in those days, it was Bobby Hull and Gordie Howe and all those guys. And number one was a global worker and a missionary. And God reminds us of those things that he did and how he spoke in those times. Fast forward. I'm 17 and a half, and I'm playing juvenile hockey in Red Deer, where we lived at the time. We were up in Pinoca, and I was playing and got taken into the boards, and the wrist broke, and it broke badly. 
And they took me home, and I was hanging there that night after the game, and we had to travel back. And my arm was twice the size because of the swelling, and they were hoping it would go down. And they did the typical thing. They, they set it, put the little cast on it, and said, come back in two weeks, and we'll, we'll look at it. They did, and uh, they x-rayed it in two weeks, and they, the doctor came to me, and he said, sorry, son, we got to re-break it. It grew back crooked. So they did that. And then the next day, the doctor came back, and he said, sorry, son. It didn't work out. We got to do it again. And so they opened it all up and they put a metal plate across there and two big screws. They're still in there to this day. And then when you're hanging there again, and they locked it up in an L cast, and God has this wonderful way of talking to you. And he put the, my whole life on the table in front of me. And the doctor said to my mom, Your son is very fortunate that he doesn't have a stiff hand for the rest of his life because the nature of the break was really bad. And so God is saying, what do you want to do? Want to go back and play hockey? Or would you like to consider what I have for you? And I broke before God and I said, God, I, everything I've ever lived for, and it was 12 and a half years that I've been playing hockey, and our team won the provincials that year. We're the best team in the province of Alberta in juvenile hockey. And I'm standing there with my cast. But I said to God, God, I feel like a big zero. And I said, God, can you, can you take a zero and can you use a zero? And he said, yeah, I can. So by that time, I had just turned 18 and I'm walking down the steps. This is incredible. I'm walking down the steps of my high school in Red Deer and I'm just days away from graduating. And as I'm walking down the steps, I'm asking God what he has in store for my life. And he said, I want you to travel and tell people about me and my word. Okay, I'll do it, God, I'll do it. And within just a few short days and weeks, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada initiated a program called AIM. The initials stand for Ambassadors and Missions. And they were sending a team of 25 young people from across Canada to go to the West Indies and build a church and work on some islands. I was the only guy selected from Alberta, and I joined 25 young people, and we went. And I began to journal, and I began to write what God was doing through those days. We would share and evangelize. I read my journal last night. Every day we would walk in the fields, go to the houses, guy, girl, guy, girl, because we could relate to everybody, you know what I'm saying? My partner was Fanny. How many of you know Fred Fulford? Team leader, team leader, <laughs> just amazing, just amazing. So Fanny and I are out witnessing and sharing, going door to door, and we meet this wonderful black man, Stanford. He was a seaman on the ships, sailing between England and the Caribbean, and the cold and the wet had just really made havoc out of his knees, and they hurt him badly. I said, Stanford, can we pray with you? God would touch your knees and heal them? He said, yeah. So Fanny and I prayed. We just sat there, put our hands on his knees, and asked that God would heal Stanford. And we just prayed our best prayer. We left. We knew what we had done, what we had sensed, and we felt. And the next day, we went down and witnessed and shared. And the next day, I said, Fanny, let's go back and check and see how Stanford was. How he's doing? How, how his night was? So we knocked at the door and Stanford was there. And I said, Stanford, how are you doing? 
what's happened? How are your knees feeling? He said, last night I went to bed. He said, I had a dream. And he said, an angel came and poured hot oil over my knees. And he said, I'm better. And we just said, God, thank you for these kind of things. And I began to write the great thrills of what God was doing. We visited a house one day, Fanny and I, and there were seven or eight men working up on the top. As we are going to this house, I started shaking because <laughs> I knew what God wanted me to do. And I said, guys, God really loves you. And it went on, and I said, guys, if you want to receive Jesus in your heart, I'm going to ask you to come down off the roof and come down, and I want you to pray beside the road. All eight of them came down. And we prayed the prayer with the men beside the road. And I thought, boy, this is better than scoring the winning goal on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday in the Red Deer Arena or getting the MVP trophy. I said, this is amazing. And I said, God, it was so good. Could I go again next year? And I went to West Africa to be with people like Gerald and Ruth Morris and, and uh, Jess and Virginia Lynn. Annie Cressman was there, Charles Barker and his wife, and on and on. And it was like living in a Tarzan movie. It was rainforest jungles and the chimpanzees would come out of the forest. And we worked in refugees way back in the countries, on the borders of many countries. And I said, God, it's so good. Could I go in next year? And I did. And in amazing, it's amazing in those days, in that third year, we went for two months to East Africa, to Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. It was 1972. Jason, you're... Your grandpa, Bill Cornelius, he was there working at that time. Idi Amin was shooting up the country of Uganda where we were. We were staying in a place called Jinja at the start of the Nile River. And we went down to work with Jack and Edna Lynn in Mombasa. And we worked among the Maasai. And we stayed in mud and manure houses and ate their food, matoki and poshu and all of those wonderful foods. It was amazing. And one day, as we're coming home from an assignment with Jack and Edna Lynn, this boy walks by, and his eyes are full of pus and all sorts of, you know, white stuff that's around his eyes. And I felt God wanted me to pray with him and my partner, and so we did. And we just went to him and cleaned his eyes out as best we could, and we prayed our best prayer. We went on to the next assignment. We came home later that night, and they told us that little boy is seeing better now. And you begin to see that God loves people and Jesus was moved with compassion for people and he wanted to heal them and you see God reaching into their lives. And like I said, God, it was, we, went, we would go to bed at night and uh, we would hear bullets and gunfire and Idiom Men was killing people I, and I reviewed the history on this. And they told us locally they were throwing the dead bodies and giving them to the crocodiles in the river system around Jinja. But God was there, and he was at work. And uh, I said, God, it's so good. Can I go again next year? And he said, yeah. So I went to Brazil. And it was just God writing another story, writing another line, and getting me ready for full-time prep. Fast forward, uh, when I was in, just for a second, back in, in uh, 1972, when I was in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, we were sailing around Lake Victoria in places like Bukoba and Mons and, and uh, uh, the other place where the Bible school is up there. Well, if you can tell me. Kisumu, Kisumu. Yeah, anyway, when, when I'm there, um, yeah, there were all sorts of places, but I remember Kisumu. Marty, my wife, is working with YWAM on the drug trail in Morocco and Tangiers. 
And then her next chapter is to go to Munich, 1972, when the Israelis were captured and killed. And that was her atmosphere. And so I knew that God was preparing her as well. We got married in 1975 in Edmonton. And in two years, we were in Mexico. And uh, we had uh, we were there for seven and a half years. Uh, we had two children born there, Kim, our oldest daughter. Uh, she and her husband, Mark, have been here at the school. Kim is in charge of wellness in for, for our Eurasia team uh, across Europe and Asia. And Mark is in the Bible school, started a Bible school there in the big church in Madrid, uh, doing an awesome work for God. And I want to I wave the flag for Eurasia here just for a moment because there's an Omega team, and I was talking with some of you that are going to go to Europe at the end of July. Can, I, can you wave at me, team, team members on Omega? Those that are going to Europe, yeah, just, just hold your hands. Just keep them there. Lord, bless these that are going out over the wall to the countries. We've worked in Spain for about 37 years. Uh, Stephanie, our youngest daughter, was born there as well in Alicante when we were pastoring a church there. Spain alone has 7,000 cities and towns, not one evangelical church. That gets my inner gut. What do you do with that? So let me wave the Eurasia flag, okay? Um, there's so many things that I could share with you, but uh, in those days, just actually even before leading up to uh, going overseas after Marty and I were married, it's the middle of the 70s, and it's the Jesus people days. We would go to church in Edmonton five times a week, and the church was full all of the time. And I learned the importance of worship, John 4, 22, 24. The hour has come and now is the Father is looking for worshipers, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God began to write. It changed why I went to church as a good Pentecostal boy all my life, because I understood that worshiping was doing one of the greatest things I can ever do. It's close to the first commandment, loving the Lord God with all our hearts. It's called ministering to the Lord. And when you minister to him vertically, he always comes back and ministers to you in the horizontal. And God was saying all of those AIM teams were prepped to go full-time, Mexico for seven and a half years. And because we spoke Spanish, it opened the door to go to Spain. We had to, oh, we had to change the chip. And I remember one day in grade seven, I was, we were in history class, social studies, and I made a slip of my tongue and I lisped. And I said, instead of isthmus, I said, isthmus. And God said, that's how I want you to speak when you go to Spain. And I just about died. Because I had to learn to say things like corazón, my heart. In this Latin, say it, corazón, and put on zapatos or zapatos. And it took two to three years to change the chip and learn the different accents. And it was hard. But God gets you ready. And uh, then God just kept pushing the borders to another country. And it was Romania. And... Uh, as God pushes the borders and the boundaries, he began sharing a principle with me, and it's one that I've shared here at the school. Gavin, you and I were talking about a little bit. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2 is an awesome verse where God comes to Moses, and he says, what do you have in your hand? Moses said, big rod, big staff. And God says, I want to use it. Would you let me? We're going to do some miracles with it. <laughs> 
And uh, he did. And you know the stories of it turns into a snake and he does miracles. And then he and Aaron had one too. It budded and flourished and almonds were there. And it was amazing, all of that. So God began to uh, just work in my life. And in those days, I was traveling a lot with the missions department. And like Mission Impossible, I would call in from different places across Canada and they would literally said this word for word. I don't know if they were listening to the Mission Impossible themes, but they said, your next assignment will be, should you choose to accept it? Havana, Cuba, Guayaquil, Ecuador, because the Spanish and leading teams and being interpreter for them and all of that. And God just kept pushing the boundaries. And he said, I want to use what's in your hand. And uh, the next assignment came in. Marty and I said, yeah, we'll do it. And the destination was Turkey. And we were going to Ephesus because there's a church plant there that our colleagues, Mike and Kathy Martin at the time, had built a church there in this city of Selçuk for 35,000 people. And, oh, this isn't crazy. Aaron and Ketya, also from Chatham and Ukraine, were there ahead of us. So we had to wait for them. And Marty and I were staying in this little hostel beside the mosque in town. <laughs> Every one of the, you know, the cry of prayer cuts up at five o'clock in the morning. So Marty and I were walking around the town and through the markets and we found this, this tennis court in the center of town. And she was very appropriately dressed. And so we decided we had our rackets with her to go out and play. And uh, God began to introduce me to divine appointments. And when we played, all of a sudden, to the tennis court, the school across the road opened up. And all of the children came to the fence and wanted to see who the foreigners were. And then it was put their hands on the chain link fence. And they wanted high fives. And then they wanted to practice their English. And the beautiful, dark little eyes of those kids. <laughs> Hello. And so you go down the line and you touch every hand. And God just started doing things. And this man came up to me. He was a, he was, he'd been a Turkish Olympic wrestler. He was built like a tree. And he came onto the court in his civvies, leather shoes, pants, street shirt. And he said, I want to play with you right now. Okay. Marty, it's okay? Yeah. He said, I want to hit with you. So we hit for five, six, seven, eight minutes. He said, tomorrow I'm going to come back and we're going to play again. And then I want you to play with the 14-year-olds and the 13-year-olds. And then I'm going to bring some doubles partners. And when you come, there's a policeman sitting at the door. He's got a key. He'll let you in. So I came to the court the next day. And this man is sitting there without his shoes on. He's actually not sitting. He's kneeling there. He said, I know who you are. I've watched you. He said, I know who you are. He said, when I'm here praying in my mosque, I'm watching you play. And this lady came along with her son, held up her finger like this, and with her son, she said, can he use your racket and hit the ball against the wall one time? And so I set him up there, put him in position, helped him, and got him ready in right position, and he bounced the ball, and he hit it. I said, let's do it again, and he hit it two, three, four, five times. And it made his day, and he went <laughs> running home. And I'm saying, God, 
what are you doing with all of these divine appointments? There were 12 of them in three days that God would bring people to the courts. This is what he said. What do you have in your hand? I said, a tennis racket. And this is what he said to me. He said, can't I use your tennis racket to win these people, to reach these people? I said, I'm sorry, God. Of course you can. And God kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And a couple of years later, we used to go into Turkey, I, I don't know, with our colleagues. That was places where we would go 12, 13, 14, 15 times. One year we went, or one time we went six years in a row to Antalya, another time four years in a row to another place. And then we went to Ephesus. And I went back on another assignment to Ephesus. And the wrestler was still there playing on the court. Got to greet him. And Mike said to me, Dan, I want to take you to another court because the owners of the gym are opening up the place. And so we went there and shared with him. And you just think, God, what are you doing? We need to conclude here, don't we, Gavin, in a few minutes, don't we? Uh, when I shared the message, your wife is sisters with Luke Liable's wife, and there's a connection. Luke was here at the school working at the district office, and uh, he said, Dan, I think God is talking to me. And he said, he spoke to me, and Luke's a photographer, a wedding photographer shooting for the district. And he said, I want to go with you and use my camera because I have a camera in my hand. Long story short, Luke came. And we, Marty and I were doing five assignments that year around that, on that particular trip around Spain. Luke got in on four of them. We picked him up at the airport in Madrid. He came with three cameras and he was shooting from the moment that we got on the train. And we went to the Portuguese border above Spain. We went to the other side, Bilbao, France, that area. We went down into the olive groves and to churches that we work with, and he was shooting and posting his shots and his clips every night. And he said, Dan, there are hundreds and hundreds of people following what we're doing and the stories that we're showing. What do you have in your hand? The other scriptures in the Bible say, what do you, what do you have in your house? Yeah, what are the thoughts and the dreams and the visions that you have in your mind? If you give them to Jesus, he can do the miraculous with them, and that's part of the story that he wants to do. Let him use your, and then you fill in the blanks, okay? Sound fair? Can you give it to him? On one of those assignments when we were working in Turkey, after our gathering was over, God brought about what I just simply wrote in my notes as a life changer. How many of the staff members here know Les Paulson? Great man of God, real leader. He was leading a team, and we went for a tour of the seven churches in the book of Revelation after our time was over, and it was amazing. It took us three days to do it. Marty and I got up one morning, like everybody else on our team. We turned the TV on at 5 o'clock in the morning, get some BBC news before we join, have breakfast and go and join our tour and leave at 7 in the morning. And God began to add another line to my life. And he, he said, I'm going to change your life today. And when I flipped the TV on, BBC, this lady came up. Her name is Yana Matei. And she's a world leader in the whole area that we work with in Romania. 
And God was saying, I'm going to introduce you to the very tough world of human trafficking. And God gripped my heart that day that I still not, I, I'm not able to get over it. The BBC was working undercover in a shop in Bucharest where I lived about 10 or 15 minutes from my home. And under disguise and in secret, that day as I'm watching the news on the, the TV, this is the hard part. They bought a girl for 600 US dollars. And the girl says to them, not knowing who they were, now what are you gonna do to me now? Are you gonna beat me up too? And they said, no. We're going to turn you over to this lady, Yana Matei. This is 210, 2010. The Reader's Digest awarded her that year the person of the year for the entire continent of Europe. They gave her a generous offering, a check of $5,000, presented it to her in the Hilton Hotel in Bucharest one day. I went there, the satellite dishes were there, they were interviewing, they were shooting. I just sat in the corner, I said, yeah, I'm gonna pray for you. Jason, your dad and uh, other pastors put together a gathering one day in the national office. And they said, uh, come and tell us what God's doing in your country. And I said to them, it's the human trafficking thing. And they said, Dan, would you go across Canada and share in our churches what's happening, what you're knowing, what you're seeing there. And I met at the time a man by the name of Benjamin Perrin. He's a professor at the University of BC here in Vancouver. He's a consultant to the federal government. And he wrote this book, and it's, it's, it's a heavy one. Canada's Underground World of Human Trafficking. And I, I just opened this up before I came. The pages here, Juan Osuyas, are just where I grew up. If I was in Saskatoon, I'd say, if you want to come to see Saskatoon's story, it's in page 94, 95 here. And they would line up after church and want to see the book in the pages. Among them were police officers in Saskatoon, Edmonton, Peterborough, and on and on it went. I'm going to fast forward real quickly because i got to go to some other things. Twelve days ago, BBC Two published a documentary that they've been working on for two years. It's a, it's a tough, very sobering video. It's 44 minutes and 21 seconds on human trafficking. Yana's at the beginning of it, and she's at the end of it. And in the middle, the police talk about, here's, here's, the, here's the tagline, sold, sex slaves next door, BBC Two. And it's over, I think it's 10,400. I've looked it up, 10,400 10, plus hits. It's on it in just the last 14 days, 12, less than 14 days. It's sobering. If you want to listen to it, it's pretty real. That's where God was bringing me to change my life. And uh, there's so many things to share, but Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is a way, walk in it. To the right or to the left, whichever way you turn, you'll hear God's voice. And I want to introduce this theme in conclusion, in conclusion as we come to a clo closure and a response time tonight. Learning to hear God's voice 
One day we went down to the train station in Bucharest, six o'clock in the morning, 17 train lines there, and they were all busy, and people just like ants going here, there, and everywhere. And as we're there, God was telling me, I want to do some divine appointments in your life. And as we're walking to the train line, tall man, six foot two, big man, has a grand mal seizure right in front of me. Goes down face forward, and he's, he's reefing on the cement of the patio inside the train tracks, in the, between the restaurants and the train tracks. And we, everybody sort of gathered around and scattered, and everybody took a hand and a foot and another hand and another arm up there. I had one leg, but then I saw his head going back and forth, up and down, off the cement. And I quickly ran around, and I grabbed his head, and I held it up so at least his head wasn't banging on the... And I, when I did that, I saw that he had cut his eye really badly under here, and it had opened up a pretty bad wound, and my hand was full of blood. And they were yelling and screaming, get the wagons, where they put the luggage? We'll put him on there. And the Holy Spirit is sitting behind me like I'm kneeling now. He's there talking to me, and he's saying, when they bring the wagons, and you lift his body up like that to put him onto the, to the suitcase rack wagon, talk to him in his ear. Tell him that I love him and bless him. And when they got the wagons, he was coming back, and he's beginning to wake up. And the Holy Spirit says, now. And the Lord says, you won't miss it. You can't miss it. You can't step around this one. Just speak into his ear and tell him I love him and bless him. And I did that. They took him away. I never saw him again. And then the next thing, of course, was to go into McDonald's and clean up my hand that had all the blood on it. But I knew I had heard God's voice and I would spoken into his ear. And I said, God, I want to keep living like this all the time. I want you to give me words of wisdom, words of comfort, words of consolation, words of encouragement for people. I asked God for divine appointments and divine encounters all the time, and God brings them. Last summer when I was home at the tennis court teaching, and uh, Sheldon Armitage, I don't know if any of you know Sheldon, he was our assistant director, and he's from Vancouver. He said, Dan, you, you play tennis. Why don't you go and get your ticket? And get your... That's what I did. I got a Tennis Canada certified instructor and all that. So I'm giving tennis lessons last year in White Rock. And this lady, where's Nathan? Nathan, leading the prayer there. The lady was from Vietnam. She came to the, to the fence where I was teaching. And she said to me, the Lord impressed me to go out of my house, in the car, drive down King George Boulevard to the light, turn right, go up to the stop sign, turn left, park in the parking lot, pass the pool, come down to the courts, and I saw you. She came with one of her boys, seven and nine, high needs, physically and mentally. She said, Dan, would you be our tennis teacher? And I said, yes, I will. And then this is the story that she told me. She said when she was 11 years of age, she and her 18-year-old sister left Vietnam with the boat people. And for five days, they were out on the water. A lot of girls in the boat, fearing that they'd be captured by the bad pirates, raped and thrown over the side, scared for their lives for five days. And as they were there hoping and 
pushing for the best. God sent them good pirates. And the good pirates said, just give us what you've got and we'll take you to Malaysia. Long story short, she made it with her sister to Canada. And who did they meet but an old pastor. I think his name was John, 84 years of age, and he took them in. And she said, my husband is a Buddhist and I'm trying to raise my sons as Christian. And she said, can you be my tennis teacher? And I'm saying, Jesus, I'll be their tennis teacher and help them. Another lady by the name of Daniela from China, she came. Her dream was to be a tennis player all her life. She brings her son over. He's seven, Andrew. He's like a firecracker. He's got an attention span of five seconds. <laughs> she said, it's my dream to be a tennis player all my life. But she said, how do you parent children? She's got a daughter who's 13. And then she said this. She's starting to vomit her food. And she thinks she's too skinny. And this one did it for me. She said one day, Dan, after the lesson, hold on. And she touched me, put her hand on my wrist. And she said, last night, she, she slit her wrists. She cut her wrists, wanted to kill herself. And I got her a Bible. And we began to, I wrote out on the little flashcards verses to how to parent the salvation verses. And I gave it to her. I phoned her this morning to see how she's doing. And Sarah's doing a lot better and not needing any medication right now. So God's at work. Omega team, you're going to go to places like Das Canada House, Germany. Musicians, would you come? We're going to sing a song, including, concluding here. I need to go to the airport, too. <laughs> oh, my heart is here. I don't want to yet, but I have to. Um, I want us to sing. I'd like you to stand. Would you just change your positions? Would you let God give you divine appointments and divine encounters, divine moments that only... One day I went to Walmart in White Rock, turned the radio on, got the news, tough story. Fire in Newton, Surrey. Two children burned, not killed, didn't die. They were burned. I go in and do my shopping, got my wagon, and I'm pushing it to the, to the till, and there's a lady in front of me, and she is really troubled, really troubled. And the Lord said, I want you to talk to her. Tell her you're a pastor, you feel compassion for her, and listen to her story. And as I did that, she said to me, it's not fair. It's not fair that children should be in a fire and get burnt. And she said, I'm taking these few things that I bought, and I'm going to give them to their house. And I said, can I pray with you? And when, she, when, I, when I said that, she said, yes. She fell into my arms and grabbed my arms and put her head on my chest and started to cry. And this is happening in front of the cash register. And she's a girl from India watching all of this. And she said, the, the, the lady, she said, thank you for praying with me. And then she left and she said, thank you. And then the girl's still looking at me. <laughs> and I have to explain to her what happened. And I said, God, I'll explain to anybody what just happened right now. I want us to sing this song, just a chorus. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. 
I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. But I will sing of the goodness of God. Can we sing to the great Lord and Savior? Would you lift your hands and minister to him? All my life, you have been faithful. Find the right keys and right chords and so our voices sound decent. And Jesus, would you bless each person here tonight? There's a prophetic thought that I've had all day for two or three days. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. You know it. God says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Plans to bless you, not of evil. And when you look out on the horizon of your, of your life, he says, I'll give you a future and a hope, and I'll give you my peace. And peace there is that beautiful word in Hebrew called shalom. It takes 14 words in English to describe the richness of the meaning of shalom. And God knows the thoughts and the plans that he has for you and I. The steps of good men and women are ordered of the Lord. Do we have it, guys? All my life? I usually play it on C in my guitar. <laughs> and it works. It doesn't sound bad. <laughs> uh, thank you, Lord, for your anointing and your presence tonight and for these beautiful young people and teachers here. Lord, whether we sing it or not, we, we know it's true. You have been faithful. You are so faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life, all my life you have been faithful, Lord, you have. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Yeah, tell him one more time. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing the last line. And I will sing of the goodness of God. Last thing before we conclude, say this with me. I've known you as a father. Say it with me. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Can I bless you before we go? Can I bless you? And I do this with all my heart. You know it as well as I do. And I, I want to bless you. It's the ironic benediction. It's number six, 23 to 26. Lord bless you. Lord keep you. Lord lift up his face upon you. 
lift up his countenance upon you. And we've already said it. Give you peace. It's shalom. Give you his peace. Lord bless you and keep you. And I ask your pardon for this. I need to take my coat and drive for three hours. But before I go, here's the last one, okay? I love you. I give you my best hug. Thank you, Gavin. Love you so much. My heart to yours. Can't say it strongly enough. God bless.